There you go, bro. That's an intro for you right there. <laughs> yeah, what is up, everybody? Muse Me TV. I got to do this damn thing right away. Trying to switch what's going on. Thank you for joining. Episode 125. We are back. Oh, man. This is a new new thing we're trying. So if it doesn't work out too well, we're still working out the kinks and stuff. But thank you for joining. Uh, back in the studio, we got Dennis. Dennis back in the studio. How you doing? How you doing? Say something. We kind of <laughs> rushed right into this a little bit. We weren't ex- necessarily ready yet. But don't worry, we're going to get you our intro song going soon. There and you go. All that other good stuff. Doy Stevenson, everybody. Doy Stevenson, everybody. Anyways, uh, yeah, so fucking... I know nothing about this. I have no fucking... I'm still learning and how everything should be coming. But this guy's a badass from what I've heard. I mean, you're telling me he's, he's, a, he's a beast. Yeah, this guy's one of the best coaches in the game. He uh, coached a group of kids up to pro level back in the early 2000s, New England Hurricanes. They actually competed on the ESPN, and they placed pretty well in that tournament. They uh, you know, went on and became a dominant force in the MPPL under a young age, and all those players from that team necessarily went on to uh, other teams and became really good and successful. You know, Billy Bernaccia, um, all those other guys – I'm sorry, I just drew, drew a blank. I'm sure he'll be able to fill us in on the rest of them. But, um, yeah, he is New England Hurricanes coach. He coached the Bay State Bandits and managed a different bunch of other different teams. Um, my good friend, Jeff Stein, everybody. That's, it. That's how you build up the guy? I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> he's a great guy, honestly. Um, he knows what he's doing, and... He's one of the best paintball minds in the business. Yo, 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 what is up? Are you still with us, Jeff? He may be on the phone. I'm still with you. Yeah, he's here. <laughs> he's here. All right, what is up, Jeff? Welcome to the podcast. This is Muse Me TV. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate this. Dennis said that I had to get you on, and I'm just like, let's get him on, man. Let's get him on. Glad to be here. Heck yeah. So uh, Dennis was telling me a little bit about yourself. Uh, you've done so much in the paintball world already. So just give us a little rundown on what, what you do, what you have done, and just just give us a little info about you. Uh, okay. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so what I guess the only thing that's really worth talking about is the Hurricanes. Uh, I started a team called New England Hurricanes back in 99, and we had a, a little run in pro from 2004 until about 2009 in seven-man. And we, we did seven-man seven in uh, NXL. And then since then, I, I ran the Bay State Bandits for a couple of years. I ran the Preferred Mob for a couple of years. In the last two years, I've been back with, uh, with the Hurricanes. Restarted the team. A couple of the players actually came to me. Kids who played in the team, Costigan played in 2007 and 8, and Steve played in 2010 and 11. And they came and said, you know, interest in restarting the team. We picked it back off. We got uh, Keith Levitt to come back and join us. Thomas Mantoni, who used to play pro with the Hurricanes and Aftermath and Docs Raiders. And we played last year, and then we played this year, and then this year everything in the world ended. Yeah, that's, that's what's tough about everything is – the whole paintball world came to a screeching halt right after Vegas. And you guys had a pretty good yeah. showing at Vegas, I felt, too. So We have a very good team. And we should be playing late on Sunday at every event. We 
we didn't make the cut in Vegas. Uh, combination of issues. Some of it was there was a gear shortage leading into Vegas. So we didn't all have, like, some of our guys were getting equipment, getting guns in Vegas. Never had a chance to use them. That's never never a great, uh, a great look. In preparing for Vegas, anytime a team from New England is preparing for the first event, you're battling the weather. So you're often not even practicing outside. You're practicing in frigid conditions. We never played, before Vegas, we never had the opportunity to play a regulation match with timing, with refs, and with coaches. And so we got there, and it took a day for our coaching staff to really develop a rhythm with each other. That hurt us. Uh, on Saturday, we were off. Or not Saturday, I guess. Friday, we were awful. Saturday, we were okay. If we had prepared a little bit better, we probably would have played on Sunday. If we, you know, it's all little things. If we had done a better job with the gear beforehand, if we'd done a better job with the coaching, if we practiced a little bit more, it's always tough coming from New England and coming out of the snow for the first event. And we didn't, we didn't perform the way we should have. Yeah. It was not a, it was not something that I would consider a successful event by any means. Anytime you're not playing on Sunday, you just spent a whole lot of money for, for nothing. Dang, that must be pretty hard. Uh, so, so with that being said, especially how hard it is now, like how hard is the paintball going with the whole COVID epidemic going on? Is that is it kind of put more of a screeching halt on it, or is it just kind of just gave it a little bit of a slowdown? I mean, for a while it was a screeching halt. We couldn't find any fields in Mass in the New England area that were open in March. Most of April, we found one field that was open, but they were limiting it to five people at a time. So you couldn't even get a team practice in. In all fairness, I appreciate that they took the effort to get open at all. But it's still, it's tough to get practices in. Now things seem to be mostly back to normal, at least regionally. So there's the NEXL is running, Fox 4 is running, Fox Ball, the, the OPS series out of Matt's Outback is running. So there's lots of local events, but local events don't allow semi-pro players. So if you are a semi-pro player, player even if you're a d2 player in new england nowhere to play we're hoping there's a world cup and if there isn't a world cup then we we got to play one tournament this entire year there's the event over at blast camp in september uh virgil uh, virgil phrase field blast camp is running an open event i think they're limited to 12 teams and it's the same weekend that the chicago nppl was supposed to be so there's uh -oh. one opportunity to play but other than that like there's the there's the realistic possibility that D1 teams across the country play in one event all year. That's not good. Wow. That actually does sound pretty hurtful. It's, not, it's hard. It's hard to stay motivated to practice on a regular basis when it's not like okay, if, it's okay to, to do drills when you know there's a tournament coming, even if it's not a layout practice. But we don't know if there's a tournament coming. Like we, we might not play another tournament for, what, eight months? And let's be realistic. There's no guarantee that Vegas happens next year. It could be ten months before we play another tournament. The Hurricanes are an older team. Most of the guys have careers. Most Some of the guys own their own businesses. It's hard to go to, like, Stephen Schloss, Peanut, who owns a television production company, and say to Steve, you should take off work this weekend to come practice. What are we practicing for? We're not practicing. We're playing. What we're doing right now is we're playing. And it's great if you love playing, but there's a difference between hobbies and sports. Yeah. And right for a D1 team, paintball's 
kind of a hobby. If you love it, play. And if you don't really love it, or if you have other things in your life that are you know, important right now, it's easy to push paintball aside. And that's what we're seeing. So I got the guys over. We're refereeing the OPS tournament series this weekend. And everybody's refereeing, and we get paid in practice paint. So I'm hoping that when I get to turn around and say practices are free, we'll be able to get more people to the field. But it's been tough. It's been real tough. Interesting. So uh, I've actually known Dennis since high school, but how do you know Dennis? How do you? Uh, uh, you've obviously worked with him and done some stuff with him. Can you give us a little, uh, in, a little insight on that? So Dennis came out to the Hurricane tryout in two thousand. Was it two thousand ten? Yeah, two thousand ten. With a, a video series on it, actually, or video on it, uh, and Dennis came out and tried out for uh, for the Hurricanes. He did really well. It's tough bringing people. It's tough bringing people who aren't local into a team, especially when you're dealing with New England, where any given weekend you could be practicing, canceling practice in the morning because of the weather, and then you you know it's not somebody who's driving in from New York. It's somebody who's flying in from the furthest part of the country. So that's tough. But Dennis and I have stayed in touch ever since then. And through his trip with Raza and APX and, and everything else. So what we probably don't even see each other more than three or four times a year though. Right. Yeah. At but it's great every single time. <laughs> nice. So that's, that's cool. What's awesome about those events though, you know, is they happen every what once every two months, but you get to see all your friends from around the yeah. world and country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Every two months. So. Okay. Pretty dope. Pretty it is getting to fly out and see people that you you consider friends, but you don't see on the regular. You you fly out to these events and and you run into a hundred of them. Yep. So, and obviously you guys do keep in contact, right? It's it's not like oh yeah. a couple years later or a couple months later. Oh, let me just let oh, yeah. remind Dennis or let me just let Dennis know. No, you guys are constantly have a. a, a, a situation going on you guys are talking to each other i mean this guy like i mentioned in my post before he's my first mentor in like the top game of paintball like when i first entered in he told me he was like you know you're from new mexico i really know you want to be part of this team you'd be a great addition but you're in college right now put paintball aside finish college do what you're going to do and then take paintball on or if you're serious about paintball find a team near you that's looking for yeah. players and you'll you'll make it you know what i mean and so i took that advice you know i finished i tried to finish out school and then i found i found a team next to me the scottsdale elevation and um things happened that i un- unfortunately weren't able to travel back and forth but you know it's you know it's they're a good great good great group of guys too but uh, this guy right here you know when i first wanted to go to raza and talk to todd I was nervous, and I knew that Jeff knows Todd, and he knows him really well personally. So I was like, Jeff, what's Todd into? What makes him laugh? What should I say to him? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just nervous, and so he was like, dude, you're going to be fine, you know? And, like, he told me, he's like, I won't. He's all, you should even sweat it. You're going to get this job no matter what. Dope. And so, you know, I went and I talked to Todd, and sure enough, he was like, yeah, I want to hire you. And I called Jeff. <laughs> right away so he hired me man he was I like yeah it. i told I you <laughs> that's dope man heck yeah so jeff how long have you been in the paintball industry uh the first time i played was 1992 dang dude i was in the oh my god don't even say that i wasn't even <laughs> i was i was barely two years old man. <laughs> two years old 
My APPA number is 36. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. 36. Man. And and ever ever since then, you kind of had this passion and you knew that it was going to be paintball for the rest of your life? Every year, I, I think to myself, how have I not advanced past this? Like, um... <laughs> But every time that I every time I've quit, I've ended up coming back. Every time I've I've walked away from a team, thinking it's time to not do this, it lasts at most a couple months. I don't know what else to do with my time. Okay. So I always I always come back doing this, and uh, and I enjoy it, and I I don't entirely suck at it. So something to do. I totally can see that. It's like, it's more of a passion now because uh, it's just so much of the repetition of doing it and just falling in love with the motion because uh, uh, me and Dennis have actually played music together and stuff and that's just something that we know maybe one day it'll hit off for us but yeah. if it doesn't it's okay because it's, it's still, still a lot of fun. It's still fun playing for a bunch of groups of people a local show or just being able to entertain in a small amount of venue to, to grow. It's just it's a great experience so I, to have, I totally get you what you're saying. enjoy it you have to enjoy doing it if it's entirely a goal and let's be realistic how many how many pro paintball players pay their bills with paintball <laughs> five like six <laughs> if you if you don't count the guys who who work in the industry it's not like in terms of it being no, a goal right. for the yeah. sake of a goal it's not, it's not yeah. much it's not plausible. you have to enjoy doing it the other thing is you spend so much time you know you think about how much time you spend with your team between weekends and traveling and, and everything else, it has to be something you enjoy doing or it's not or it's not worth doing. That's 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 some good advice right there. Some good sound advice, Jeff. Hey Jeff, if you're not paintballing, what do you like to do on your spare time? I drink and smoke. That's that's <laughs> a great answer right there. Let me get the crowd on that. That's a good answer. Good answer. I don't I don't I have no life. No. <laughs> I spend a lot of time at cigar bars, and uh, I collect whiskey. So, uh, where are you at right now? I'm at a cigar bar in Rhode Island. <laughs> in Rhode Island. Field, Rhode Island. And uh, the state of Rhode Island has a number of really nice cigar bars. I did not so know that. On my way home, after I go to the field on Saturdays and Sundays, I stop by and have a couple drinks, have a couple cigars, and then I drive home. Nice. Sober. Nice. So, uh, in 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 like uh, in your situation of where you're at right now, how is the whole epidemic of the COVID going on there? Is there like a big mass hysteria going on? Is there some people kind of still staying chill and kind of living life the way they should? How is it going out there? So the New England states really locked down pretty tight. Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and right now the COVID number in Mass and Rhode Island are as good as they are anywhere in the country. Okay. You always find people who, who take it very seriously and care. You find people who really don't. Uh, at my field, if I see customers wearing a mask, I put on a mask. If customers aren't wearing a mask, I ask them if they want me to. If they don't care, I personally don't care. But, um, you know, there's there's... I think there's a mental health aspect too. Like I, I wear a mask when I go shopping, not so much because I care, but if it makes other, it's a other stressful time. Yeah. Yeah. People are hurting financially. People are afraid of what's happening to the country financially, what's happening to the country in terms of the virus, what's happening to the country in terms of the 
completely corrupted political process and and media. So if my wearing a mask makes your day a little bit less stressful, I'm okay with that. That's that's, good. that's a good reason for me to wear a mask. That's a good answer. Yeah, that's kind of the same situation we're in too. It's like we kind of. Most of us know it's just, you know, to make other people feel better. And it does have some benefits in making sure that the virus isn't spread. But in other retrospects, too, in other retrospects, not a lot of us are unhealthy. And we don't have these underlying health issues that feel like can really cause us to, I don't know, die or get really, really sick. Because so you say that, and I agree with you, and I, and I do agree with you. But then you have the exceptions, and the, the one that really sticks out for our community is Tim. I mean, he's a professional yeah. athlete, yeah. he's healthy. So this virus can kill people, and can kill people who are healthy, and it can kill people who are not compromised by any kind of health issue. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look at I look at the studies that come out, and the death rate is not the mortality rate caused by COVID is not something significant right i mean it, it's it's low but you know, it, yeah. it it does kill and it does kill people who are healthy and the, the tim thing you were That's, talking before about the event you know i i wouldn't say that tim and i were friends we were friendly but whenever we saw each other at events we took time to talk mm -hmm. i'm probably one of two thousand people who are going to notice him not being there at the next event, whenever the next event is. I mean, he he was that kind of a person. And uh, I don't even know, as much as the paintball community has been impacted by, by Tim's passing, I don't know if, if we've really felt the impact. I don't know that we're really going to feel the impact until, you know, the, the Tom, Dick, and Harry's, the, the no, nobodies of paintball, go to the next event and swing by the Lux booth and he's not there to say hey and somehow remember everybody's name and and somehow have time to talk to everybody that was what's really good about Tim um you know I was friendly with him and just because me and Ryan Moorhead have been friends we're basically twins you know what I mean <laughs> um every time I was with Ryan Tim was around you know what I mean and they were always joking around and having a good time so I got to see like a different side of Tim that a lot of people didn't see and like get to hear some raunchy jokes that he got to you know what I mean and he's just a funny dude all around and really yeah. great guy and like like I like you said like when he passed away I was blown away because completely healthy guy and then you know, from everybody who saw him and talked to him just the Friday before, wouldn't have suspected yeah. anything. You know what I mean? And then, so somebody somebody texted me and told me that he had passed. And my first thought was, this is bullshit. And I actually texted Tim to say, hey, there's a rumor going around. And of course, it wasn't a rumor. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that's and, and putting aside being very, I don't know, impersonal, very cold. Tim's vision for the future of paintball was an awesome vision. Yes. Yeah. Everything that's happening in our community, the biggest growth sector of paintball is retired players coming back. Yep. And what are they? Doing? They're playing mech ball. Yep. They're playing wood ball. They're playing ten man. The vision that Tim had for the future of paintball was the most promising thing that that anybody has. And I don't know who else. I don't know who's going to carry that torch in his place now. But it's something that the sport needs. That's very true, especially in this time now. Because I mean, I don't want people to think that like 
it's a lot of people think that a lot of things are going to start dying like like comedy yeah. certain sports certain events that take a group of people to come together we we can't let that we can't let that fail we can't let that go away because i mean that's where the camaraderie and the togetherness come together so uh Have you guys ever been what was that did you guys ever go to the icpl no i played uh the what is it the one that the uh i didn't play iron city classic but i played the one that yeah. nxl played or had on i never i never I ipl never, or something Never had a chance for it and i hope it comes back next year so i can yeah i think well i'm gonna i think they will they uh announced something yesterday that they will so i think yeah, it's I think cool so. i remember the first time that it it they uh, they had it. I was like, man, that's gonna be an f- awesome tournament. And then sure enough, the next year, like they sold out seventy two teams within a matter of like ten minutes, like five minutes. Yeah. And it's so, like the old NPPL. Remember yeah. this, but the NPPL tournaments they'd sell out in an hour. Yeah, you'd have like three hundred like, teams at NPPL, three hundred fifty teams, okay. and you didn't get to play. And so, uh, so my question for you, I've always actually wondered this is how did you find the talent, the young talent, 15, 16 year old kids and turn them into the new England hurricanes of the old days. And, you know, so I, I like to think that I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. I, I believe that I have a good eye for talent. The original, not the original, the, the first Hurricane team that went pro was based on a group of kids who played out of Canopy Paintball called the Adrenaline Junkies. Uh, Rob Landry, Dan Savoy, Brian and Eric Gigliotti, Stephen DeBillis, who played on uh, All Americans. We picked them up. I think they knew Billy Bernaccia. We picked up Billy. For the most part, and this comes from the All-Americans, the All-Americans were the first, like, modern professional teams. And they did two things that were different than everybody else at the time. The first thing they did was they sat back and they, they figured out what are all the distractions that prevent people from being the best they can be, and they are moved on. If you don't like sharing a bed, we'll get more hotel rooms. If you don't like sharing a car, we'll get more rental cars. Obviously, the All-Americans had a great budget. But they sat back and they removed any of the impediments, the things that stop you from playing and focusing on playing. And so that was a lot of what I tried to do, was just make it so it's easy for kids, find people who are passionate and want to get better and remove the reasons that they can't. Um, and the, the, the adrenaline junkies, I mean, I remember I used to have to fight with them. They would they would go to Boston to do drills. And the drill they came up with, the drill that Rob Lee was uh, five on five with the flag in the center of the field. It was a pretty cool drill. And they'd shoot 30 cases and they'd stick me with the fucking bill. Damn. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, but they got really good. And they, they cared a lot about being good. So most of the magic, most of the, you know, the most of what I brought to the field was just seeing the potential in them and trying to focus on removing as many distractions as we could. And the rest of it was them. The rest of it was the players. So you thought about it. You funded the Hurricanes pretty much um, in their first years to get where they were? So the first year we went pro, we were a Reds-sponsored team, and Reds gave us a very good deal. And then 2005, 6, 
2005 and six, it was largely me. 2007, we got a great deal from Planet Eclipse. And that really helped having Planet Eclipse involved. Uh, obviously, awesome guns and a great company, and they're local to Rhode Island. Yeah. Martin, when, uh, see you. Shout out. <laughs> so when Jacko first launched the Hurricanes, we go to Huntington Beach. I guess it must have been 2007. I think it was 2007, maybe six. No, it was 2007. So we go to Huntington Beach, and Jacko brings all the Hurricanes back behind the Planet Eclipse truck, like in the, within their paddock area, to try on clothing and grab guns and stuff. And Leds, who has no idea who we are, walks out back and actually called event security. Because all Led saw was a bunch of 15, 16-year-old kids grabbing gear and trying to get on and running out the door. He's like, who the fuck are these people? And Jack goes, no, 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 they're appropriate. They're a bunch of little kids. Stop these guys. Man, that's wild. So I remember from back then, like, I've always, I've always have and always will be a fan of Dave Baines and uh, Dynasty. A lot of pro teams were not welcoming to the Hurricanes. Dynasty was. That's awesome. Dynasty treated the kids like they belonged there. And Greenspan, I don't think uh, Ryan even remembers this. Greenspan came by one time. The, sort of, the pro player, the pro teams had the they called pro player paddocks. It was a staging area that was separate from the rest of the tournament. And Ryan came by the Hurricanes area, and we didn't have pods, we didn't have squeegees, we didn't have chamois. We didn't have like we didn't have sponsorship on the level that other people had. Yeah. So the next event, Ryan comes by the Hurricane area and he drops off a care package of all those shit and all the shit we didn't have. Damn, and every event, cool. and like I said, I don't think Ryan remembers this. Every event, either Ryan or or uh, Alex would walk by the Hurricanes and make sure people had barrel socks. Because otherwise we wouldn't have had barrel socks. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't care what happens. I will always be a Dynasty fan. I'll always be a Dave Baines, Baines fan because they treated the kids like they belonged on that field. That's awesome. Yeah, that's just the support yeah. that comes from, like, people knowing that, like, hey, this is the next generation or, hey, this is the next group of talent. Like, why shouldn't we help yeah. them? Why shouldn't we well, help them? you say that. All those dynasty guys are still playing, and most of those hurricanes have retired. So. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dynasty's won over fifty tournaments right now, man. But you know, the thing with the New England Hurricanes is they were always in the at least middle of the pack, and then like towards the end of the years, they were fi finishing yeah. up top. You know okay. what I mean? And so, like, it wasn't like they didn't belong there; they belonged. You know what I mean? But like yeah. back in the day, like. Even when I was growing up, you know, like it was so rare to get any kind of tips or any kind of good treatment or just here, you don't have this, let me give you this. You know what I mean? Like, because everybody wanted to keep everybody else below them so they can have that upper hand on them. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's not like how it is today where you'll see more of that camaraderie within the sport. Everybody's helping out everybody. But like, you know, especially in the MPPL, man, that it's cutthroat in the MPPL. You only have one game against each person, and you yeah. got eight games throughout the tournament. You know what I mean? So it's cutthroat. And the teams that don't that didn't perform well got relegated. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so relegation started in the MPPL. It exists today. Has anybody ever been relegated and survived? Um, that's a good question. Like Elevation got relegated. They're, they're no longer a team. They're well. They're they're sort of there's there's somewhat of a program still, but they're not uh, competing semi-pro or anything. So, uh, I would have to say, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Uh, who was the last? Uh, after I, don't, I don't think so. After shot got uh, relegated, oh, it came aftermath basically. Yeah. But okay. That's good, man. That's good. Unless it was, you know, would you consider, would you consider the Naughty Dogs, and then like they split up basically into Uprising and Seattle? No, the, the Naughty Dogs broke up, and then they got back together. You know, so yes, they ended up coming back, but they're coming back. They're like when they they were not a team for a year. They're not a team for like eight years. Yeah, Rocky was actually telling me the story. Rocky's kid gets done with college, gets done with, you know, the military, I think it was, and said to Rocky, I want to play paintball with you. And that led to the rebirth of Naughty Dogs. But when I saw Rocky at the World Cup, I think it was two or three years ago, he and I were chatting, and it was like, you know, it's not good. I, I haven't been around for eight years, and I know 90% of the pros. Yeah. There's no, think about it, how much new blood comes into the pro division makes any kind of a difference in sticks not a lot honestly NY yeah not a lot i mean so like 187 or, or revo uh they're new since the naughty dogs original run nyx is new there's always going to be new teams how many teams how many teams come into the pro division and matter at all would With you all consider respect houston the heat they're, they're better than we are but like thunder does, did Thunder do anything? Does Uprising do anything? Does uh, Trademark on Outlaws or ML Kings? Like, yeah, they're pro, but are they are they really pro? I, I hear what you're saying. By the way, don't. Yeah. I can I can I can feel that. The pro I mean, sorry, go for it. A, a twenty team pro division is unnecessary. That's a financial thing. That's not a competitive thing. What would you put the pro division at? Ten teams. 12 teams? Eight teams? Whoa. So if it was me, I'd like to go back to Champions and Challengers. Have a have a semi-pro, like separate semi-pro and D1. Have a Champions division of eight teams that are... Back in the day, if you stepped on the field with the pro team, you lost. Period. Period. You lost. In today's world, I don't know if that's always true. So... Let's make a pro division that is super elite, that is so much better than every other team that it's obvious. And then have a challengers division of the next eight teams, whether they're currently called pro or they're currently called semi-pro, but make the top, make the elite part of the sport elite. The problem is that paintball doesn't have the finances, so teams are viewed as profit centers, as opposed to teams like in, in you know every other sport, Teams generate revenue themselves in paintball. Teams yeah. they are the revenue, so you have to have a twenty-team pro division to make the pro division viable. Wow. Which kind of, I mean, I get it. And if it's a choice between that or no pro division, let's take that. But that's not really what's best. I mean, you, you watch some of the pro teams play, and it's not inspiring. That's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of people who sit and watch and like, man, I'm better than those guys. I can do better than those guys. And like, you know, you can even, there's people who go and they probably are not, you know, it's real easy to watch the team playing against impact and to say to yourself, that team sucks. Yeah. Do they suck or is impact just really good? It's but true. 
but at the same time, there are, I mean, there's absolutely, there's teams playing pro that shouldn't be playing pro. That, that don't deserve the pro moniker. And then this whole, like, merging in, so I, I'm not allowed to buy a spot, but I'm allowed to merge with some team, pay them money, yeah. replace their entire roster, and then pay the league $5,000 to change the name? Oh, come on. It's like, either allow people to buy in or don't allow people to buy in. But back in the MPPL days, the spots were owned by the league. You couldn't sell your spots, although a couple people did. Doc Raiders, I think, bought a spot once. But, you know, make it... If you're going to call it pro, make it mean something. Right now, it really doesn't mean anything. It's, it's just a different price point. Yeah, it's like everyone's in minimum wage. It doesn't matter who's in the paintball field. As long as you get paid a certain amount, people in there. It's weird. That is kind of weird. And see, and that's why it's not even profitable either. Because if you win these tournaments at the pro level, you're only going to get ten thousand dollars. That doesn't even pay for the tournament itself. That goes let back alone into the practice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's it's complete. Like you have to like count on these teams bringing in profit to your company, and then these companies, you know, they kind of kick you a little bit of crumbs here and there. Like, if you have, for instance, a lot of these teams, they'll have a they'll have a farm. You know what I mean for them. So um, let's say DMG camp. They have this. They have a whole camp. They have a D5 to pro camp. So when you have all of those guys buying your team package, which is part of the deal yeah. of being part of that team, the pro team, all those guys are going to get free gear. But it's at the cost of you getting 40, 50 packages in. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean. So that's the incentive, right? They get free gear and stuff, but it's still a cost. Yeah. Still at a cost. Exactly. And then if you're going to order paint from these guys and you want a paint sponsorship, you got to go to your, you know, whatever field these guys practice at and work something out with these owners where, okay, well, I'm going to tack on a little bit more to these cases for you that I buy. You know what I mean? Okay. And then whatever I tack on gets put on towards you. So there's really no real sponsorship. It's more of like, give me, give me, give me. So you can, you know, get a little bit. But a lot, people, a lot of people don't get that. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand. I mean, it is a business, and it's not necessarily a tremendously profitable business. So if you want sponsorship, you have to bring something to the table. You have to offer these companies something. And, you know, I've got 5,000 followers on Instagram. Nobody cares. Who cares? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The, the question you need to answer is how many packages am I going to sell? Am I going to sell 20 packages? Am I going to sell 200 packages? And then you have teams that you take Infamous. So Infamous has basically become a business, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what their sponsorship from Planet Eclipse is, but I know they sell a lot of guns. Of guns. Okay. And that's what funds the team. They, they get guns at a price, and they sell those guns, and that funds the team. And they sell it more than a regular CS2 or whatever would go for because it's their uh, infamous milling. Yeah. So instead of it being like a fourteen, fifteen hundred dollar gun, they could charge twenty two hundred dollars for it. Easy. Just to so, just to get that benefit of the profit, right? Yeah, and people will buy it too. You know what I mean? I mean, it's used I, by the pros. Why wouldn't they? I hated when the Hurricanes had two thousand dollar guns. Like, how do you? <laughs> Some kid who wants to support your team, he's a big fan, and like I want to buy an, an a Slater SL8. How do you say to that kid, this is this is going to be a little bit more than your parents' mortgage for the next month? 
I always, I, and I, I talked to Jack about this a bunch. We came out with an ETH at one point. I want a gun that I can sell the kids for 500 bucks. Yep, yep. Something that's a reasonable amount of money. And we can still support the team. It's not going to support the team as much as a $2,000 gun, but it's going to support the team. It's going to support the company. It's going to support the sport. Because it's embarrassing to say, like, this is a $2,000 paintball gun. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah, that's bad. Really? Exactly. Well, good. What the fuck is wrong? Who would spend that? <laughs> what two thousand dollars on a paintball gun? There, it's like, it, aren't aren't hoppers like two hundred dollars these days? Yeah, and that's expensive too to me, man. Jesus. Yeah. So, and it's not that part of the sport's not going to change because right now there's just, uh, a Johnny Walker Brown. Yes, you can. Thank you. Johnny Walker Brown. Dang. Oh, I was wondering what you were drinking. Uh, no, I was drinking a tea, uh, margarita before. Oh. <laughs> um, it's hot here. It's, it's, it's hard to drink whiskey in hot weather. So usually I actually switch to tequila for the summer. <laughs> Interesting. That's a good one. Hey, I'll take a shot. Hold on. Actually, we don't have no clothes. Switching to tequila is tough because you have to retrain your body because your stomach goes back to college. You take a shot of tequila and your stomach thinks, oh, shit, back everything up, like eject, eject, eject. No. Let's get this going. We're okay. We're going to have a couple of glasses of tequila and we're not going to boot. <laughs> we're not gonna... That's how it is, man. That's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> uh well jeff uh what do you, what well before i wrap this up and everything what do you feel is uh the the next step for you like what's what do you have going on for you future wise for me yeah so i i've been investing heavily in my retirement plan which is lottery tickets there we go and at some it. point i'm gonna win and then i'm gonna disappear okay thank you you're welcome that's awesome. That's a great. That's so, a great plan. So, so do you, you mean in paintball? In paintball. Well, with what you're what you're currently doing, like, what are you going to keep doing in the paintball industry? Like, what are you? What is to excel from you in the paintball industry? It's funny. So, uh, before this call started, I was here with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about how how do you market paintball? to how do you market paintball to people who don't know that they're looking for paintball right if you're looking for paintball in rhode island i'm the only field yeah but how do you how do you get in front of bachelor parties and bachelorette parties and birthday parties uh, i think it was i think it was not uh, uh key but what's what is key called now gi i think it was gi sports came out with a, a video like paintball it's a real video game how do we get that message in front of parents who are sitting right now with kids at home who don't go to school who spend all day sitting in front of the fucking television playing video games and the parents know the kids shouldn't be doing it. the parents know the kids need to get outside and do something active how do we get in front of those parents and tell them hey here's an option here's an opportunity to go do something it's nature you're running you're you're getting dirty you're climbing well hopefully not climbing trees but <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing things that kids are supposed to do um so I, i'd like to try to figure out how to how to do that for my field as far as the team is concerned you know everything's sort of on hold we're we're waiting to see whether world cup happens if world cup doesn't happen then we, there has to be something you can't you can't own a race car if there's no races there's no racetracks yeah it's hard to have a, a d1 team 
if there's not going to be a D1 tournament in the future. And who knows if there's going to be an NXL in the future. So. Right. We don't. I mean, we don't know right now. So last night I was hanging out with uh, with Chris Dahl and Chris McFarland uh, at the BK, BKI camp. There you so, go. Uh, Chris Dahl's kid, Colton Dahl, like 13, he's a tiny little kid, and Chris McFarland's kid is uh, Chip. They're in the camp, and the three of us hung out and smoked cigars and drank scotch and just chatted. And, you know, it, it would be neat. It would be fun if somebody could figure out how to fund it to put together the, the Team USA, a Team USA team whether it's under 16, under 19, the women's team, or some combination of that played in the entire NXL season. That would be something that would be fun to be a part of because those kids are extremely passionate about the game. Yeah. They love football. They want to get better. I mean, these, Chip and, and Colton flew into Boston this week so they can go to a summer camp. Wow. And they spend the entire week with Marcelo and Ryan and Kyle Spicka and Slowiak and uh, Austin Beattie. And in, the interesting story with Austin is Austin is a pro on AC Diesel, but last year Austin hitting in the camp yeah. as a, as a you know, camper, not a counselor. That's so, awesome. nice. you know, it would be fun. It would be fun if somebody could figure out how do you make this work. That would be something that would be fun to do. Yeah. I have a question. So I remember a, a few years back, you're doing some coaching seminars and you're more or less like doing like online schooling on how to like improve your coaching and your managing abilities, um, which really actually helped me out a lot because um, you let me do it for free. But, um, like, <laughs> um, Are you going to do that again? Will you want to do that again? You know, because there's a lot of new coaches, a lot of new managers coming into the game. You know, more anybody now than ever. Anybody who's interested in learning about how to manage a team can contact me. And and I'd be happy to talk about it, and I geek out on it, and it's what I enjoy doing. Um, I think a lot of clinics out there from coaches like Rusty or Greg Pauly who are infinitely better at coaching than I am. Uh, and I think there's a lot of clinics out there right now for players who want to get better. There's actually not a lot out there for people who want to know, you know, what are the what is the the block and tackle of managing a team? Exactly. Um, or the downships or the hard what's that yeah or like you know the the rough ship hard times of like actually running a team like yeah. everyone thinks it's all like paper sailing and it's super easy so one of the things that always gets me is people talk about drama so <laughs> anytime that you have three people in a room there's there's an energy that those three people create and we label that energy drama but if you think about it in high school, in college, in at work, in every social environment you're at, there's stuff going on. And you can label it drama and get all upset, or you can just accept it. People aren't robots. People have different thoughts. People have disagreements. And you need to know how to work through that. And if every single time there's an argument, you throw up your hands and you say, I can't deal with drama, well, you're going to you're gonna end up living in a dark room in the corner, smoking pot all day. Like, that's... <laughs> Drama is something that happens, and you have to figure out how to go through it. Yeah, like uh, um, I've heard before that stress is a good thing. You're supposed to have stress. Stress is what builds up to make sure that you know that you can overcome that kind of scenario or that situation. Yeah. And the other thing to remember is stress 
anything that happens happens when you feel stressed that's you that's your reaction to the things that are happening there's there's no such thing as good and evil something happens and it's it's objective it happens you know two people get into an argument or whatever it is whenever you start feeling stressed out that's you that's how you're reacting to the world around you so you know put that in perspective emotions aren't real emotions are your body's reaction to the world around you you know there's no objective there's no you know personification of happiness happiness is a is a mindset happiness is how you approach the world sadness is how you approach the world. anything that happens you can look at anything that you look at that makes you angry or sad or depressed could just as easily be something that motivates you and pushes you to go forward it all comes down the things that are happening around you it's very true it's all about that perspective right because i mean somebody can be a hor horrific cat murderer and think they're doing good in the world so <laughs> reading these world of these nasty let me, let me kids <laughs> jerry Devereaux down in florida right like what happened to him is horrific and horrible that motherfucker's still smiling every time i see him yeah see it's yeah. one of those things right that is crazy man jerry so uh Jerry, he was in this car wreck, and he had just got got onto this Tampa Bay damage team. They were a rebuilding team. Um, doing really, and he was playing really well at this time, too. Well, I guess he went to this tire shop beforehand and didn't really do something to his tire correctly. A lug nut or something fell off his car and ended up flipping, and now he's paralyzed. Damn. But, dude, this guy is one of the most happiest dudes you'll ever meet, like, loving and, like, still, like, nothing ever happened. And, you know, he does, he's got, he's getting more movement in his legs and stuff. So God willing, he's able to walk again, but you know, he's, he's one of the most positive energy, no matter, you know, despite what happened to him, yeah. you know, so. That reminds me of uh, Jason Becker, the famous musician who was a guitar oh, yeah. player. He got ALS and now he's paralyzed in a chair, but he still doesn't make it seem like he can't do anything. He still writes music at this time. He still does so much. It's mm -hmm. just like. That's amazing. A lot of us do can strive for greatness or just like you said, it's just a perspective. It's the perspective of what yeah. the scenario is. The Hurricanes used to practice at a field called Del Hobbies in Maryland. And there was a kid who played there. They, they called him Nubby, which I always thought was a little insensitive. Uh, he, his legs ended at his knees and he had no arms. Him that basically came off of his shoulders. And this, this guy had a gun with a string tied around the trigger. And he would run around playing, holding the gun, and he'd turn his whole body sideways and pull the string and shoot the gun. Like, that's awesome. And no matter what hand life dealt him, he was gonna do what he wanted to do. Like, that's, that's awesome. I went to a paintball field a few months ago, and I wanted to play, and I showed up and I realized I, I forgot my, my shoes. So I didn't play. It's like, the wrong shoes, and I didn't play nubby had no arms the dude had no arms wow. and he was out there playing hurricanes like you, you got to admire that it, it's it's if your mindset is woe is me life sucks then no matter what happens it's life's gonna, gonna suck, suck. And, it's gonna yeah. and if your mindset is you know every challenge is a good challenge then no matter what happens to you you're gonna be happy great insight great insight well, Jeff, uh, we're, that was actually really awesome. I'm super glad that you were able to join us on this uh, podcast. Uh, we, again, we're just here chilling out, and and Dennis was like, hey, man, you got to get him on. He's a really great guy. He's really insightful. He's a pro, a 
paintball badass and i'm just like let's do it man let's get him on so jeff i want to thank you again for coming on man this be completely fair Dennis has a much higher opinion of me than probably is warranted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never have a bad opinion about you, man. <laughs> hey, Jeff, uh, is there anywhere that you want uh, any of my listeners or followers that they can find you or anything anything else you want to shout out? Just give them a shout out right now if anything you want. Your sponsors and stuff. So, I mean, I, rather than give any specific shout out, what I would say is anybody who's a paintball player, Support your local stores, support your local fields right now. People are taking a beating because of the COVID thing. You're going to see stores closing. You're going to see fields closing. Without local stores and fields, there, are, there is no paintball. With all due respect to ANS, fuck ANS. <laughs> spend extra dollars, buy a gun at the local brick and mortar, and support local businesses. Yes, sir. Yeah. Heck yeah, Jeff. That's awesome, man. Thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate you, man. Have a good Take it easy, man. Talk later. Talk later, Dan. So that was Mr. Jeff Stein on the Amuse Me TV. Thank you for letting us do that, man. I uh, have a few other people that would want to come on and chat with us and just to get you more paintball knowledge, dude. Because yeah, that's actually pretty crazy, too. Like, So NPBL is the National Paintball League. No, so NPPL is NP- National Professional Paintball League. Okay. And that was the league back in like the early 2000s and stuff like that that I actually grew up playing in. Okay. And so NPPL actually ended up uh, subsiding and uh, P- uh, NXL and P- well, PSP kind of took over for a number of years while like... There are a bunch of like other MPPL rebirths, but nothing really big. Okay. And then NXL came around and just took over the entire national tournament scene. So it's okay. weird. And what NXL does and what we were talking about is, you know, it's you got to earn your way into the pro division, but he's right. There's, there's no real need for 20 teams. In fact, a couple of years ago when they first started, it was only 16 teams. And then they went to 18 teams. And then they went to 20 teams. No. You know what I mean? And so... It's all a money thing for these guys, you know, and it's it's sad because you like the normal guys like me and you, we would have to go and pay like twenty eight hundred dollars to go and compete, which is like, um, like what the hell, you know? That's just the entry fee. That's not even counting the forty fifty cases you're gonna have to shoot if yeah, you make it to the finals with everybody there and stuff. And then that your hotel and then your flight. Yeah, you know like you mean? guys said, like you might win ten thousand dollars, but that's pretty much going right back into the whole thing. And that's the pro. If you're in the divisional league, you're only at, at most you'll probably. I think the semi-pro guys win about five thousand dollars, and then everybody else you might win what the entry fee was. You know what I mean? Okay. And it's like that's an insult, man. It's a huge insult to injury. It's like the, what? What am I doing? at that point you know so what you are doing is you're just going to go have fun because even if you even if you do win you're losing unless you're at the d1 level or the semi-pro level is what they call it now and you have something to win which is your pro spot you know there's something to work towards right exactly but then that sucks too because uh, again most of your revenue and stuff that you guys are getting just comes from sponsorship deals yep and that's not even that that much of a sponsorship deal because it's just like hey you guys uh, send me this free equipment. You guys have already equipment, so it just ends up selling it, right? Yeah. And that's how you get a lot of your benefits and I stuff mean, like that. Yeah, and the, there are teams out there that, you know, they'll get stuff that won't even expect anything in return. You know what I mean? Here's our spo- here's, a, here's a legit sponsorship. Here's this. Here's this gear. You know what I mean? Just use it. And then, exactly. And then there's there's players out there who work out certain deals with gun 
gun I'm sorry, gun sponsorships and they get like five guns or six guns or seven guns a year that they get to sell. Well, that's like $8,000 in profit right there. You know what I mean? Like if not more. So um all in all like if you want to look like paintball is a lot of fun, right? But there there needs to be a change at the national level to where it you know what I mean? It's competitive like StarCraft. You know what I mean? Like you go and you play a StarCraft tournament, you're going to win what how much do you think those people are going to win at the tournament that's going on right Yeah, now? like I said, this couple GS, million. This GSL is going to be like maybe a good hundred thousand something. Oh well, that's a hundred thousand. You know, that's yeah. still a hundred thousand more than what we're. Yeah, <laughs> and it's still a lot. I mean, you could think about it. I mean, it's it's the the build up up to, and it's. I mean, I don't want to uh, put the similarities, but there are. You have to get the sponsorship yep. deals. You have to play the games, and then you do so well with the equipment that you have. Yep. Then it's like, okay, well, let's send you more of the equipment, or let's give you more of a promotional deal as long as you're wearing our shirts, yep. our guns whatever the case may be and 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 that's how and a lot of people and he's right a lot of people don't understand that you know they expect oh sponsor me give me give me give me you know what i mean like what can you give me i'm a i'm oh blah 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 i got all these followers on instagram okay well sweet are all five thousand followers on instagram going to buy a 75 dollar jersey you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if they're not, then fuck off. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm not going to design... Well, me as a designer. Like, I'm not going to design you something for free just because you have so many followers that are going to look at it. Like, yeah. them looking at it doesn't ex- necessarily mean I'm going to get something. Yeah. You know what I mean? The ratio has to be way bigger for something like that. Like, like you a, have to be in, like, the hundreds of thousands exactly. of followers to be even interested in, like, oh, well, even if the percentage is small, I'm still going to get at least a 1,000 sold. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You remember how I told you the margin of 10%? Like... If you're lucky, and this is like if it's a great product and if you're lucky and it's amazing, you'll sell to 10% of your followers. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you have 10,000 people, that means maybe 1,000 people. But like let's that's an optimistic as hell number is 10%. You know what I mean? That's if you're really good at what you do, that's 10%. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um, let's say let's put LeBron James. You know what I mean? 10% of all Le- LeBron James fans – are going to buy his jersey. Something from him. Exactly. The sweatband, the shoes, whatever, something. But he has 100 million fans. And not only that, it's even like the the multiple teams that he's played on now. Yeah. Now he has fan favorites for the specific team. Like say if you're a paintballer and you went from this team to another semi-pro team, now you have two followings where it's like, I actually like Dennis way more when he played with this team, so I'd rather get and this jersey, jersey than yeah. get the new one. So that that takes into account too. That's always blown me away so many times. Just like, yeah, that's so crazy. This, that dude's number one jersey seller, I think, of all time. Besides Him Jordan, and, uh, besides Michael Jordan, and then you got like, like Tim Tebow, <laughs> but like, yeah. but still like that. That's a rare thing, Tim Tebow. But like, let's think about all the Michael Jordan. Like, let's put the number at a billion fucking fans between the two of those, between LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and let's even throw Kobe in. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to have 100 million, 200 million sales with all those guys. You know what I mean? Like, of course you are. Because that's the margin of numbers at 10%. You know what I mean? Like, but with those guys, that's more like, you know. But so I would have to say, like, when my company does something and I post something up, I get about 5% to 10%. You know what I mean? Of like people who hit me up and are actually interested in buying. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah. Like my Blood Monkey jersey. I had so many people interested in that. Well, I ended up selling like close to over, I don't have to say 105 jerseys of that one 
specific design to people all over the world. Yeah, that wanted it. You know what I mean? And there is over, there is well over a thousand people who liked it, 10,000 people who know about it. You know what I mean? So I could even be at 1%. You know what I mean? So it's like, who knows, really? But um, it it's it's a hard business, man. And paintball is very hard to make a profit, like, like both as a company and as a team. Like, yeah. Because you have these companies, they are... You kind of merge them, right? Mm-hmm. kind of ends up being one thing. Like, yeah. I'm a pro team, but I still have my own merch that I make and sell. And that's the only one team that does that. You know what I mean? I, that's what I've been trying to, like, for my, my personal teams that I've, like, with MK Ultra, I've been trying to get them going, like, dude, this, build your brand. You know what I mean? Like, sell to people around you or people are, like, just make something that looks cool so somebody wants to buy it. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to even have necessarily like paintball related logos on it or even a paintball like you know like right, people like don't said, know why 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 aren't they making lighters why aren't they making mugs you know it should be a wide variety of things that exactly. just have it so that they're like oh it's not only a paintball company it's 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 a company exactly it's an it's actual a, company that you know what i mean like it doesn't matter what situation and where you're at you're going to wear it or have it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I want to make cutting boards now, dude. Yeah, I saw the post. I was like, God damn it. I want to make cutting Here boards. Go. Here we go, dude. And that's kind <laughs> of my plan or my idea that I would love to do with Muse Me. Because, yeah. again, Muse Me is the brand. And then there's the offset of it. Muse Me TV. Yep. Muse Me chairs. Muse Me Comedy, lighter. Anything. It all, it all plays off of that. And I get what yeah. you're saying. When, yep. you, when you can start labeling it on different stuff, too. It's like... I I kind of want to get a fucking cool little insignia so I could just put it on the guitar so people see it they're just like oh shit it 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 doesn't say anything too vulgar nothing weird but I I now I have to look at this up because it's a good <laughs> yeah, guitarist exactly, yeah. and it says muse me on it so I get what you're saying the way people have to market for those teams and stuff like that to get their product out there and get well more famous mm-hmm. with the product and like just posting it dude that's like not even that's not even part of the actual battle dude like going out there and talking to people and who you know are interested in making those weird cold calls you know what i mean when i first started doing an mk ultra thing i would go and just message random random people i would go and i would look up tournaments write down all the team names of that tournament and then like hit up everybody in that you know what i mean on on the team like Yo, you, you know, who's your coach? Who's your coach? Who's your coach? You know what I mean? And like of those 50, 20 teams that I would hit up, you know what I mean? I would always get like one or two, three teams that would come back. You know what I mean? Or like want to order for me or even want my designs or whatever, you know what I mean? Which is a win. Yeah. But like me just posting up my, my catalog or me just posting up a design, that's not going to get me selling that design. Like I have to actively go out there and like, Hey. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you want this jersey. Who else do you think might want this jersey? You know what I mean? You like this shirt? Well, sh- share it amongst your friends. And if you can get me 20 shirts that are sold, I'll, I'll give you three shirts of different designs that you want. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, just to cover the margin. Exactly. So it's like, you know, if you help, and that's how I am too as a person. Like, you know, if you help me, I'm going to hook you up. You know what I mean? On anything. Like, I don't try to make the most money off of people. Like, and that's the other thing too with my jerseys is like, even with my extricate designs where i'll see other people they'll post up like a half-assed kind of design for 120 bucks i'll do it for like 75 bucks most of the time when i first started out it was 65 dollars but the only reason why it's 75 dollars now is because the, the jerseys cost me more yeah you know what i mean and so the quality and stuff yeah. yeah yeah the quality's better so i'm gonna you know i've been sticking with the same company i'm gonna stay with the same company until you know what i mean like 
they go under or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't even see them going under, but you know, like I would like to come to the point where I'm designing my own Jersey for them and having my own Jersey made, you know what I mean? To the full extent that I designed that Jersey to the thread. You know what I mean? Like, and that's something I want to do. And it's something I've been passionate about doing for a really long time now, but that's getting a little off subject. Um, the thing is, like, you got to, like, be able to, like, give back. You know what I mean? If you want somebody to give you money, you got to have confidence in yourself and confidence that, you know what I mean? Like, we have these headphones on, right? Well, Skull Candy or whoever might hit us up. Like, you know, like, if you can sell us 20 pairs of these Skull Candies, we'll, we'll you know what I mean? You'll only, like, you can keep this much of the profit and then you can keep. And we'll send you two of our badass pairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of like, so on my Twitch channel, I'm actually have like this weird affiliation with Amazon. So I have a list of all the equipment that I use, like my PlayStation, my guitar, my amp on an Amazon list. So that when you click on it, it'll send you a link to Amazon. And if you buy it with that link, I get a percentage off of that. That's pretty cool, actually. But yeah, see, so you have this list of like, the stuff that you use or the stuff that you want to get used and then you show how well it is or whatever the product is in that instance and then it sells itself it kind of just you get a profit off of it like you said i'm probably not going to make so much because the dude that made that amp the dude that actually put in the time of that gets most of the profit yeah but i introduced it to the population i introduced it to people and they're it's like hey man like I sold this for you, kind of like your instance, too, where it's just like, I can sell this for you instead of like, well, in your instance, too, you want to make it. So you don't have to just be the person that sells it for somebody you want to have. And maybe you just want somebody to sell it for you or something. Yeah, well, that's the goal, right? Having people kind of work for you in a way. But you know what I mean? Like, I I like that. You know what I mean? It's like, like if you, like I keep telling you, like as a, as a, guitarists if you make these videos and you promote yourself like you can get these sponsors you know what i mean especially if you promote it in a way that people are buying it you know what i mean it's gonna be more easy for somebody who's at guitar center let's say like yeah dude this guy he's moving 10 guitars a month for us you know what i mean like let's give him some money you know what i mean like but like present it with you need that opportunity in the sense you know what i mean like but uh, like that's a that's a far-fetched thing you know what i mean like and well, not far fetched. That's like a big thing, though. Like guitars are hard to sell. I'm sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like strings, or you know what I mean? Like even picks or something like that. picks. Something exactly. The end and end. Like yeah. chords. You know, I wouldn't be able to make this kind of solo without this kind of strings and chords. You know what I mean? Like. So a, a thing that really uh, uh, is still kind of like amateurish, or a lot of people still do under like you know, there's independent companies and stuff is guitar pedals. Oh, nice. So there's a bunch of people that are just like, you know, oh, trying to get I off the ground making guitar pedals and it, that's one of those instances where like, hey, I have this many like but it's it's a different aspect for paintball, I know, but like I have this many followers on my Instagram and over this many are listening to a video that I played with guitar. Like, let me use your pedal. distortion pedal and I'll even make a little thing about it where you can buy it and stuff and let's see what happens. A whole review like video and stuff like that. Yeah, see, and I, I wonder if it works like that where you have to kind of, you have the following, you try it. If it works, then they keep doing it. Or if it doesn't, then they just like, oh, well, we lost on that one. In a way, yeah. I mean, like, but see, that's the thing is you got to be able to like present yourself to where that company wants to take that risk. Yeah. Even though like 
and like that's where you start small though. Like how much is a guitar pedal? Like a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. Yeah. How much is a guitar pedal to make? Twenty bucks, forty bucks. You know what I mean? Fifty bucks maybe. Yeah. So in a sense, it's not. I'm not. Oh man, I lost two hundred dollars. Well, in a way, you lost two hundred dollars, but in a sense, you really only lost fifty bucks trying to get your product out there. Yeah. I would. I would gamble fifty dollars to make. Let's say you sell ten. You know what I mean? Ten pedals at two hundred dollars. I'd make fifteen hundred dollars on a gamble of you for fifty bucks. Like, yeah, dude, I'll take that gamble every day of the week, dude. I don't care. Yeah. Well, I, do, I mean, if you present yourself the right way, yeah, I guess you know what I mean. Saying, like, yeah. I'm gonna take that gamble. You know what I mean? Like, so they, I get what you're saying. It's kind of like these companies uh, see where the potential is. They're not just trying to like, hey, let's just tr- throw it pedals at people because they they have a certain amount of followers. Exactly. And stuff. Like, is that is that musician gonna do the leg work? To like, here's here's the review video. It's a great video. If you got any questions, comment, and I'll talk to you about it. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, and then you see people who are viewing and you list them down. And then you even like, you see somebody who's like watching you for longer than two minutes, three minutes. Hit them up. Like, are you interested in this pedal? You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of legwork that goes into p- getting people to actually buy a product. But if you do that legwork, like in a way, like, and it pays off. You know what I mean? I have people who hit me up now. I don't have to go out and make those cold calls. I have people cold calling me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, which is amazing feeling, but I still go out and I do my legwork. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I have a month where I'm like, damn, I'm a little, a little short on, you know, funds or, you know what I mean? I'll just like, I just feel like I need to sell more. I'll go out and I, and it's, it's a lot of fun for me personally to go out. It's like a, it's like a little chase thing. You know what I mean? I get told no a lot, but I get told yes even more. You know what I mean? So that's it, in my head. That's how I feel. Like, yeah. of course, I get told even more than yes, but I remember the yes is more than I remember the no's. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's true. That 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 makes sense of like any scenario. Like, even if you like have a constant like backlash with somebody, you kind of like always bring up the bad. You're just like, oh man, it's not not as useful and not as working. Blah blah blah. But if you can find the good or the little underlying stuff, you're that's what makes you want to do it more. Yeah. No, exactly. Totally get that. Fuck. Uh, Joseph Cruz, what's up? He's just been chilling, talking a That's bunch. That's cool, man. What's he got to say? Anything Dennis cool? is a fed. MK Ultra Bro, not even trying to hide it. What kind of water are you drinking? And fuck it, A. Will Antiques. <laughs> That's as far as I got. Sell Antiques. Sell Antiques. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, I've always been. Thrift store. Yeah, I like a collector of stuff, so. You do have a lot of stuff. After yeah. a few times, I'm pretty sure I'd just be like, hey, I got this Lego set in like 2010. Sure it's <laughs> worth something. Worth something a little more now. I wonder, I wonder, man, what kind of stuff you have that are, is worth a little bit of money now. They have a shit little Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I know, uh, I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I know I have a couple Yu-Gi-Oh cards that are in like the $30, $40 range. Oh, big baller over here, dude. Yeah, so it's like paper money, right? How long do you are you haven't played Yu Gi Oh? You know, so how long do you intend on keeping those cards? Probably for a while. I still collect them. Like I like the way they look. Some oh, okay. of them have really good cards. It's just like uh, even finding old ones too. Like if you could find an old card that's actually really rare, they have a thing known as reprints. So they reprint cards, but if you could find original prints, Dang. those are really rare. Like there's a Blue Eyes out of a pack called the lob the legend of blue eyes that's literally worth like 
160 bucks, $200. So how come they're not as expensive as Pokemon? Because they're still in use today or what? No, they're, they're just as expensive. Pokemon has its same value at around the same thing, too. I've heard like $3,000, $4,000 like Pokemon cards or whatever. Yeah, the same, like Char- a Charizard card. I'm pretty sure like a first edition X Exodia set with oh. the LOB logo or with the out of that pack is good. Five. Six thousand dollars. It has to be. I Jeez. Mean, I mean, uh, dude. I, the, I remember all these kids in New Jersey used to have that too. Yeah. I hope they kept on to it. Rarest Yu-Gi-Oh card is probably something stupid, but these kids paid like hundreds of dollars at that time for them to have that set too. It was fucking retarded. Yeah. These are just some examples, but. Yeah. See if that blue eyes where this where it comes out of and stuff is super rare. Four hundred US dollars on the second hand market. Uh this is eight hundred dollars. I remember that one right here. This is fourteen. Fourteen hundred dollars? Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Two thousand. I don't even know what that one is. I've never seen that. I know what that one is. I've seen her before. Twenty three. I've seen that guy before too. 3, I used to have that card. Three thousand. The the thing that makes the most out of this card is what pack it came out of. Oh. So there's so many copies, but if okay. it has that number insignia, then you know it's a rare one. Six thousand, as high as six thousand for this fucker. Jesus. I remember that card too. That was really it's cool. It's only getting one. higher, around nine thousand US, for this fucker. Dark magician girl out of the original LOB packs. 50,000 hanging around. If you have a spare 50,000, you can proud owner of this ultra rare. Jeez, man. And then the tournament. So uh, even after Yu-Gi-Oh! got so big, they would release like tournament cards and stuff. Uh, approximately 9 million. What? $9 million for that? Uh, it was awarded to the first place winner. The prize was the first ever Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh. tournament back in 1999. The card appeared on the Japanese trading card auction site in 2013. The seller was asking 9,908 million yen, approximately 9 million US. While the card cannot be used in play, we think that the the Valiant Knight would be the crowning glory of your Yu-Gi-Oh! Fanation collection. Yeah, so that's insane. There's a bunch of, that's the same thing with uh, Pokemon. There's a fucking... There's a, there's a demand for it. Oh, wow, dude. $9,000. That's way more than I ever thought. Yeah. Are baseball cards still, like, worth... Yeah, baseball cards still have some good value to them and stuff, too. I think any real franchise cards, like even ba- basketball cards, if you have the rookie of, like, Michael Jordan's rookie card when he first came out, if you have that... Really? That's probably worth a lot of money. Imagine if you had it signed. Yeah, that's even more. I wouldn't think... Like basketball had that. Well, 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 I bet you it was like not in the tens of thousands, like ba- some baseball cards are, right? Like, oh, dude, you or see millions. You baseball cards are in the millions, right? Here we go, man. Stephen Curry's rookie card. Lord, that's oh my just his god, rookie card, dude. And that's a 2009 Upper Deck exclusive. Wow. Yeah. See, so LeBron James's rookie card, twelve thousand. 13,000, 14 for Michael Jordan's. See, look, there's even two different Stephen Curry's at price value differences. 
Wow, man. So yeah, dude. I, there's there's a market for everything. Jesus, that's uh, Jackson. Uh, it just goes on more. Jackson Wideman, are you still here? If you are, thank you for joining. He asked, "What is your favorite movie?" That's a quick question, man. Uh, Joseph Cruz said, "Clockwork Orange." He's in the comments. Uh, anybody else in the comment section? Go ahead and put your favorite movie in. To be honest, probably one of my favorite movies is called Maximum Overdrive. And it's like a Stephen King movie about semis that get, like, taken over by aliens. What? Yeah, it's an old school movie. It probably came out in, like, early 90s, late 80s. But that's one of my favorite movies because uh, all the music in that movie is actually written by ACDC. <laughs> and they didn't, like, use their music. They weren't like, hey, let's throw Thunderstruck in there. Hey, let's... Oh, they th wrote... They wrote their music Dang. there. So, like, if it was a love scene that came up, amazing guitar riff, the drums, bass, just for that scene, they wrote that shit. So That's fucking... So, throughout the whole movie, they were just playing music in the background? Yeah, there's even, like, these stupid chase scenes where it's just... Da -na -na -na, da -na -na. They did some <laughs> cool riffs to it. They weren't trying to get their old stuff, like, oh, let's play... Like, you see that all the time in movies and stuff like that where they're just like, oh, this is a great montage moment for, you know, uh, Wind Beneath My Sails. And they play that song and then they have a montage thing. Everything was done by ACDC, music-wise. That sounds actually pretty cool. So that's one of my favorite That's an movies. interesting reason why to like a movie, too. Yeah, I remember. And it's actually old school. Uh, Emilio Estevez, you know, that guy. Is oh, my God. I was like, Emilio! Yeah, that, that that guy's in that movie. I forgot who else was in that movie. Funny that you made me say that because, like, that's one of my favorite movies. Is Night at the Roxbury? But Night at the Roxbury. What's uh, what's another one? One of your favorite movies? My all time is The Mask. Oh really? That's cool. I, I just like the whole story around it. You know what I mean? Like, even though like you watching is kind of cheesy now, but like. I just like it, man. Like he, this loser banker puts on the mask and he's just like some, I don't even know how to explain. He's just a badass, but like unexplainable because he's not out of this world. And then like when you like, I don't know, I kind of like watched it on a different perspective, I guess you could say the other day. <laughs> oh, just the other day? <laughs> yeah. And oh, like, shit. I was like, wow, man. So like they talk about this like old African God and like, Back in the day, like they would wear these masks and everything like that, and that's why you see these big masks and like like that's where they put their power. They feel and that's where their soul kind of went into because that's who they were. You know what I mean? It was yeah, that yeah. mask? I get you. And so it's interesting because like a lot of the times when I did like DMT or something, I always saw the same thing with like this like African mask on. You know what I mean? And I don't I don't even know really how to explain it, but like when they were explaining that, like part like I was thinking to myself, like maybe that's my mask. You know what I mean? Like or my inner like thing that if I were to put on a mask, that's who I would be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like it's kinda interesting, like and then just like what he went through and like all the cool like the funny shit that he was doing, it's just like on it's it's just hilarious, you know what I mean? Like you can't, you won't be able to see a movie like that made today. Yeah. I was know? actually freaking out too because, uh, as you saw, I was kind of rewatching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh my God. Dude. <laughs> How, uh, okay. Like, there's so many other people that have gotten flack for it, but like, 
Where's like, dude, they did legit blackface. They did legit. And they were talking about quarantining and like they made some like Asian jokes during the quarantining oh, thing. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was fucking wild, man. So like, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about where that's going to lead to the cancel culture of that. If that, if it does end up somewhere. I don't feel, but it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those shows, I think it's like South Park. You know what I mean? They make Comedy Central so much money that Comedy Central is going to let them do and write and put out whatever South Park wants because South Park basically owns Comedy Central because without South Park, there wouldn't be a Comedy Central. Let's be, let's just be straight up about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so with same thing with Always Sunny in Philadelphia, dude, like without FX, yeah. So Sunny in Philadelphia, who's going to tune into FX? Like, you know, they took off live PD. Well, Half of their viewers for A and E stopped turning into A and E because what the hell is there to watch on A and E besides cop shows? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's true traumas and shit like that. Yeah, that nobody shit. wants to watch that over and over and over again and the same stuff because you don't have any other material. It's hilarious. So I think like Always Sunny is always going to be at that spot. Well, you know, FX may not air it or whatever, but like they're not going to get to the point where it's like, oh no, blah blah blah, but like. The whole cancel culture thing needs to stop already, man. Like, it's ridiculous. Fuck. Uh, so, you know, it's crazy, too. It's like, we have to go watch. Uh, oh, yeah. Now he adds me. Oh, look. Jeff Stein <laughs> added me as a friend. Great. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so, we have to go watch the UFC and shit because there's some crazy shit that's oh, been going on. It's actually okay. trending right now on... Uh, it's trending on Twitter. Uh, let's just see a little bit of what's going on. I guess this girl right here. She uh, heard the clap. You know how the 10-second clap before oh, yeah. the buzzer? She heard it and thought the match was over. Oh. Oh. She thought the match was over after that clap. Damn. I'm trying not to play it so I don't get copyrighted. But yeah, yeah. see that. And then there was something that happened where uh, Dean, Herb Dean didn't get the... He thought it went on too long. Oh. He didn't stop it. He should have stopped it. Nope. Everyone's pissed because Herb Dean didn't stop it. After that first initial, it, like that looked like a knockout with that first hit. Right there. That's it. That's all should have. That's, that's it. weird. Yeah. But he Yeah, did. that should have been it. But he was kind of, yeah. That was weird. So that he's I don't a, know why he didn't. Let them die. Let them die. Herb, let them die, Dean. He's actually really good, man. He, yeah. What a mistake. Fuck it. Yeah. You let him have it. He's a good guy. I actually met him one time at a Comic-Con. Uh, he wasn't even part of the Comic-Con, but wow. he was at the hotel at the Buffalo Thunder Resort. He knew the Comic-Con was going on, so he's like, fuck it, I'm going to walk around. And maybe a few people knew who he was, but I was totally like, it's Herb <laughs> Dean. Dude, can I get a picture? Hell yeah. So I got this picture on my Facebook of me with Herb That's Dean and sick. shit. And I'm just like, you guys don't need, you guys are here to see Superman and you guys are here to see It's Herb Dean! <laughs> it's Herb Dean! He's a celebrity! Like nobody got that. I was so crazy. I was like, what the fuck? Oh shit. Alrighty guys, thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Make sure to tune in uh, all uh, social media sites, Muse Me TV. Uh, do you want them to find you anywhere, Dennis? Well, no. I mean, if you're if you're new to this uh, webcast and it's your first time watching it because of Jeff Stein, please follow this webcast because it's awesome. He has great guests, does great interviews, and it's, he's a lot of fun to watch. So uh, tune in next time, folks. Thank you. We're trying to get shit going, guys. I'll peace out. Uh, we'll be back later. Peace.